I can't watch this anymore. It's over. Turn the lights out. Let's get the bulldozers in here and turn this place into a parking lot. Oh, man, not the ending that we hoped for. And we knew the, uh, the NCAA tournament was far-fetched at best, but, gosh, we hoped that at least we'd be able to play spoiler for Oklahoma State a little bit, but not the case. Um, I got totally fooled. Not a fooled. great effort. I got totally yeah. fooled by the betting line yesterday, by the way. Not in terms of actually betting on the game, but like getting my hopes up for a <laughs> for a result that I didn't actually believe in because all day like it opened at OSU minus one. You remember that? We were both surprised by that line. And I thought on Tuesday, yeah, oh well that line's gonna creep to, you know, OSU minus four or five. It didn't, man. At tip off, OU was favored. OU was favored in that game last night, OU minus one. So I'm sitting there before the game saying, this does not make any sense to me. I don't understand why, but I'm just going to go with Vegas knows something I don't. That's going to give me some uh, optimism here. And, well, that didn't mean too much, did it? Their worst offensive output well, of the season. Yeah, it's tough. You know, they I – mean, the I, – so this kind of happened in a different manner. The – the Trey Young year. So what was that? Twenty seventeen? Was it seventeen? Seventeen slash eighteen season? Uh, Twenty eighteen season. There was well, there was one year in between the uh, final four and Trey's year. So yeah, maybe, maybe that's right. Yeah, yeah. it was. It would have been the the spring of eighteen because we were out at the Rose Bowl whenever uh, it all started getting rolling. Um, you know, they had a lot of success, and not that we had a lot of success, but when they got into Big Twelve play. It took a little while, like a kind of a half of a rotation or more of seeing everyone before they kind of figured out the way to stop Oklahoma then with, with Trey. And it was just, you know, just totally do whatever you got to do to shut him down, bring two people, trap him at half court, get the ball out of his hand. And once everyone started doing that, couldn't win a game. And this year... As soon as everyone really started to, and it didn't take nearly as long, but as soon as we got into conference play and everyone realized how outgunned we were in the front court, and if you throw some size and athleticism at us in the paint and just force us to get into foul trouble, and like that was kind of the, the way to beat Oklahoma, and everyone just stuck with it. And you saw teams like, you know, TCU and, even teams where that's not their true bread and butter continue to play Oklahoma that way, and that's why that matchup with Oklahoma State was so bad. Like that's you're playing right into the strength of that team, and saw it last night. Know, just uh, yeah, they have exactly they have an inbound play again last night. underneath the basket, and you're letting Cisse just get right to the block for an easy two. It's like golly, yeah. Um, ask yeah. this on our Twitter page at KREF Sports. Uh, OU fans fill in the bl- fill in the blank. If OU men's hoops is to make the NCAA tournament next season, the number one thing they need to accomplish in the offseason is what? And, and Text Line can interact with this as well. Most people are saying get bigger athletic bigs, athleticism and length, a rim stopper, more athleticism, get a center to transfer in would be ideal. That, that's the most of what you're going to see, and I think that those answers are pretty spot on. I would, um, if I were to give mine, like the one thing that needs to happen from now until next season, 
and it sucks having to say this at the end of a season, but Teddy, they need an identity next year. I don't think OSU is some great basketball team. Looks like they're probably going to make the NCAA tournament. But at least they have an identity, and their identity is on the defensive end. I watched OU all yeah. season long, and I just don't know what their calling card was. You know, um, I mean, I guess they're a team that wanted to shoot it from the outside, and when they were able to do that, they were good. But it just I watched a team this year that I didn't know what they really hung their hat on. And that's, that's, that's got to change next year. Either be really good on the defensive sure. end – be good offensively. Like, I, I would prefer for both of those to be the case, but, like, find something you're really good at and stick with it because OSU was really good on the defensive end and they created matchup problems for teams like OU. Well, I think with the way Porter coaches, when he gets the right players in, I think they will hang their hat on being an elite defensive team, and, and that will be their identity. But as you listed off, like, what most of the responses were saying, like, what needs to happen, uh, more size, more athleticism, get a center. Like, all of those things are, I mean, that's exactly true. But we know that. The question isn't, like, what position or positions they need to get better at. It's how do they actually get that to happen? Like, Porter obviously knows, and it didn't take him until, you know, three-quarters of the way through the season to say, man, we've got to get more length, more athleticism in the front court. We've, you know, we've got to be able to compete down low. He's known that, obviously. The problem isn't knowing it. The problem is how do you actually get those players in? I feel like that's been our biggest problem, and when it comes to – Perhaps switching that around, I, the only way I see to be able to directly change that with expedience is NIL collective stuff. Yeah, um, it's I, yeah, no, it's true. And, and I was, um, I, I guess I haven't paid attention much to the Tech basketball program. I think maybe it was Jeff Goodman who tweeted this out last night, but he was saying that you know Tech, like Mark Adams steps down, you know he was forced to step down, right? And I think it was he. Yeah. I think it was him that basically said, "Tech's all in on basketball. Um, they've got a big time collective out there. Um, they're they're going to pay for a head coach, all that. Like that. I understand they were in a national championship game like four or five years ago, but I didn't realize how much a school like Texas Tech, like how even they have a collective set up for portal players, recruits, and all that. And if Tech's got something yeah. set up like that, then." Yeah, man, you you, you got to get on you got to get on par with schools like that at least. Yeah, and you know I think that like a lot of things, and I think there's some some downfalls to this, but I also think there's some real benefits to the way that Oklahoma and and it, you know Josie and then Oklahoma to a larger degree how they kind of operate. You know, I think a lot of schools have as soon as the floodgates opened in nil a bunch of people jumped directly in and there's been a wide range of results from that right there's been some schools that have been able to capitalize and really change their recruiting and change the talent on their rosters and there's been other schools where it's just been it's been um unorganized inconsistent 
There's been promises made with no follow-through. And Oklahoma has, like we do a lot of times, taken a much slower, measured path and been able to you know, do some things while at the same time observe what's going on across the country and, and maybe figure out, like, okay, we're a year plus in, and I don't know exactly how long it is since, since these rules have taken place and everyone started going, but we're a year plus in. Here's what people have done and had success. Here's what's failed. And here's the game plan to have the most effective way to, to kind of check all of the boxes. And I think – that's what we're about to see unfold here at Oklahoma. Yeah. Very confident that that's what we're about to see unfold. And I know it can be frustrating as, as we're all waiting and tapping our foot, got our arms crossed saying what's going on, where are we at? Let's, let's get this thing rolling. Why aren't we competing? I, I think, especially whenever this is like the real wild West, think a, a slower measured response to get it right is the right way to do it. And I think that's what we've, kind of seeing the people around and it's not OU but it's the people around OU that's seems to be the way that they've uh, approached this and I think it's going to pay dividends. Uh texter from the 405 says no culture. Um let's see. This texter from the 405 says, "Hey, hate to say it, but I'd rather put my money in football. Better football brings in more money for the university. Better football equals better basketball from media exposure and capital gains." You want to comment yeah. on that one before we move on? Well, I mean, it's definitely true. Your bread is buttered with football. That's where, that's why we're going to the SEC is because the massive uh, conference distribution is driven largely by football, and that's always going to be the case. But that's not to say that the other sports don't need – direct investment from the fan base they absolutely do and whenever they don't get that they tend to fall way behind baseball uh basketball you've kind of seen this to where we're we we're really far behind the rest of our peers in some of the things that they're doing and facilities aren't everything and funding isn't everything but it looks like you can tie at least at Oklahoma a direct correlation between where the fans want to put their money and, sure. and like we've had some great success with football over the last decade we haven't won a championship but we've been an incredibly successful program and made a lot of money but that hasn't seemed to help basketball and baseball now I know baseball went to the the finals last year and in I'm not suggesting that they're not in a good position. I think they actually are moving forward. But like, they could be in a much better position, and that's never going to happen without direct investment from the fans. Well, it feels like you can have a good team without direct investment. You can have one really good year, maybe even back-to-back really good years. But if you actually want to build some longevity in a really good program that's going to last and stay at the top for a while, there's got to be a nice investment in a program, especially when we're talking about college basketball, college football, like the major sports that are out there. It's hard to be consistently really good when there's not, you know, very much commitment to the program. Yeah. And it's obviously easier to go 
have a great run of a couple of years and then everyone pours their money in and you're able to keep it going. I, that's the easy way. I mean, of course, that's the easy way. But the harsh reality is that you're asking for lightning in a bottle to, to actually have that take place and be able to, to capitalize off of it and move forward. Like the more realistic approach is you got to bite the bullet, fund the programs, build up your facilities and, and everything that they need, and, and continue to pour money into it. And as that happens, the players and coaching and everything that you get continues to incrementally get better and better. And then before you know it, you've got a steady, consistent program that has the ability to win championships on, on the right uh, on the right years, whenever the, the stars align, right, that's the that's the more right, realistic approach to it. The the lightning in a bottle and then capitalize off of it is that's not a, a real realistic way to approach it. You sure. just have to that way. You're just waiting to get lucky. Um, since it's the uh, first segment at five o'clock here, a real quick update. May, some of you may have heard it earlier today. Um, a player basically collapsed at practice earlier today on the football team. And the name was not released for several hours, but the name has been released by KOCO, and there's good news attached to this story. Gentry Williams was the player uh, that collapsed at practice today. He is at Norman Regional, and he is currently in good-slash-stable condition. So that was a big story going on this morning with a whole lot of rumors it was Gentry Williams, according to KOCO, but he's in good-slash-stable condition, and it, and it feels like everything's going to be okay with him. So very good news in what was initially a very, very scary situation. Yeah, I actually read an update on Twitter oh, a half hour ago or so, and I'm not sure exactly when it was from, but it had a few more details in there, and it said, I think he's already been released from the hospital. Okay, good. And... And it happened during a one-on-one tug-of-war with uh, another player. You know how they kind of do those different little battles and stuff, um, you know, for for team building and stuff during the the coaches' workouts? And it sounds like it happened during one of those, and that's, you know, as everyone was kind of gathered around, and maybe that's why it was so scary. And, you know, who knows what the cause of it is, but – like something like that sounds like you could have just like a massive exertion type of deal and you you strain so hard that you you pass out briefly and you know I'm not suggesting that's what it is but I could see that given the drill that he was doing you know it wasn't like they're you know um he was standing around during wind sprints or something and and fell down in the back of the line like he was uh, all-out effort in a one-on-one tug of war, which is a brutal, brutal little battle to be in. So, um, sounds o- like everything as of right now positive. OU football uh, released a statement about 40 minutes ago as well. At the end of this morning's football team workout, one of our players experienced an exertional collapse and was immediately attended to by the team's medical staff and transported to a local hospital for further care. He has since been released and is heading home where he will spend spring break with his family. He will undergo follow-up exams with team physicians before resuming athletic activities. 
We commend our medical staff that provided immediate and thorough care and are appreciative of all those who have expressed concern for him. All right, good. Going back to Tulsa. Yep. Going to spend Fantastic. spring break up there. That's good news. Hey, T-Town's a new spring break destination, right? Downtown Tulsa. All the spring breakers from up north come in. And, <laughs> yeah. no? Is that not the case? I, I don't think it is. <laughs> I thought that that was a joke about all the northeasterners moving to uh, Tulsa over the years. But uh, one, one quick text before we hit a break here. Do you think when we have our first year in the SEC in other sports not named football, will the attendance be more just because they want to see these other schools? That's from the 405. And I would say yes to that. My, my initial – reaction is yes i think i think there's uh i think there's some pent-up demand i think um i think there's maybe some fans that have not necessarily soured but you know maybe the monotony of being in the same conference year in year out has it's been more difficult to drag out the um you know just kind of the common Fan, like you're going to get your your fans that go to every basketball game are going to go to every basketball game. Your fans that go to every baseball game, they're going to go to every baseball game. But whenever you're you enter this new conference, I think you've got a much better chance to kind of reinvigorate some fans and some new schools coming to town. I think everyone's going to maybe hit the reset button and say, "Hey, let's go catch a game. Let's go catch a baseball game. Let's." Uh, uh, I don't know, LSU's coming to town hoops this week. You know, we haven't ever seen them in the LNC. Let's go out and, and see what it's like. I do think you're going to get the more casual fan show up, at least in the beginning. Yeah. Now, it's up to those programs. It's up to the, the level of play to keep those fans coming back. This may not be a fair example because they were ranked number one in the country at the time, but – you know, the, the highest paid attendance this year, and I say paid because the OSU game was free in Norman and there was a ton of people there. But, like, the best crowd that they had all year that you actually had to buy a ticket to was the Alabama game. And, again, maybe that's not yeah. a good example because, you know, they were the best team in the country at the time and it was a 2 o'clock or 1 o'clock game on a Saturday. So it was, like, the perfect scenario. But that was by far and away the best atmosphere that I saw at the LNC this year, and that was an SEC team. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that I think both things can be true. I think that you know, if if the number two team like Kansas was number two whenever we went up there, they were I think nine whenever we played them at home. But if Kansas was number two, and Kansas always brings a big crowd, but you, I think you would have a, would have had the same crowd come see Kansas Oklahoma if Kansas was the number one team in the country as if they were the number nine or ten team in the country. Like, you've sure. got the cooked-in crowd that was going to be there, but I think the Alabama game, because it was different, you brought out people that maybe otherwise wouldn't have gone. So, yeah, I think so. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Final hour rolls on here from Chicken and Pickle up in OKC. Indoor-outdoor entertainment complex. They've got casual chef-driven restaurant and sports bars throughout. Pickleball courts, variety of different other yard games. And uh, there's chicken and pickles throughout the country. Kansas City has a couple, Wichita, San Antonio, uh, Grand Prairie, Texas. You can see these throughout, and it's uh, continuing to grow. 
Come and see us here at Chicken and Pickle in OKC. Opinions. You've got them. We want to hear them. Sound off 24-7-3. The Riverwind Casino and Hotel bringing you this hour of the rush. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. Here's something that will probably annoy you because I'll tell you that it uh, annoyed me when I saw it earlier today. I guess everyone is huh. uh, using this as a time to come out with their best uh, coaches and college football list. 24-7 did their top 35 yesterday. No Brett Vittables in the top 35. And then uh, Feldman and Mandel did their list today. Which I, I read you uh, Bruce Feldman's list earlier, and we were like, eh, yeah. James Franklin, come on. Feldman, 1A and 1B. Saban and uh, Kirby Smart at the top. Dude, just pick one. 1A and 1B right. I think is the biggest cop-out of all time. Like. <laughs> That's where people probably, if they do care about your list, care about it the most. Who you have at number one. And you're going to go with 1A and 1B instead? God, I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah, it well, doesn't annoy you as much as it annoys me, but have an opinion. Oh, it does. It does. And I, I don't think that there's a wrong answer. To say that the guy that just won back-to-back national championships in Kirby Smart is the best coach in college football – that's not a controversial take, right? A, you can say that Nick Saban is number two and the greatest of all time, but right now his program is, has slipped behind what Kirby Smart's been able to do at Georgia, and it's true, okay? Like, that's not a bad thing to say. I, I would also say that if you were to pick Saban as number one, and have Kirby Smart as number two and say that, yeah, Kirby Smart That's fine. has it rolling here the last couple of years. But when you look at the whole package and what Nick Saban has done and still has an incredibly potent team that may have a chance to win a championship this coming year, I, that's also fine. I, you got to pick one. 1A one and 1B is dumb. I yeah. agree. Uh, by the way, that was uh, Mandel, Stuart Mandel that did that, not Bruce Feldman, but who cares, whatever. Nick Saban, 1A, Kirby right. Smart, 1B. Dabo at number three on this list. I feel like uh, most people feel like he's fallen off a little bit, but they still got him in the top three. Yeah. Big year for him coming up. Back, back to the, uh, the Kirby Smart and Nick Saban thing real quick, just to make a, another point. If you're saying 1A and 1B – Aren't you saying that whoever is A is actually better than whoever's B? So <laughs> those are one and two in that order? I, you Isn't know that what? what you're saying? Yeah, it kind of does. And, and in this case, I guess he does think Nick Saban is barely a better head coach than Kirby Smart at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Saban one and Smart two. Um, yeah, Dabo is – he's getting the benefit of the doubt, Tyler. And – you know, they, they have been able to continue to pull off some some seasons that are they're not great, but they're at least respectable compared to what they've been, you know, as, as national champions and stuff. They're respectable. Like last year was like people probably would forget or not even recognize. I think they ended up eleven and three and you know, lost to Tennessee in, in the bowl game, but I was an 11-2 and two football team at the end of the year, lost to South Carolina by one and lost to Notre Dame on the road. Like, that's, um, 
That's considering that they had quarterback issues the entire year. That's a that's a pretty good deal. And then you go back to twenty twenty one where they lost three games and everyone was kind of up in arms, and they beat Iowa State to go ten and three there at the end. But you know they they lost to Georgia the opening game of the year ten to three. Um, Georgia goes on to win a national championship. I mean, it's hard to really kill them over that result, right? And then NC State, they lost in double overtime and lost to Pitt 27-17. But I I do have to admit that their down years are still incredibly strong whenever you look at them uh, compared to the rest of college football. Now, obviously, the pushback to that is, well, the ACC stinks. They still should have good years. True. I mean, that's that's fair. It's Um, true. But they've won seven out of the past ACC titles, which is – pretty good just kind of feels like it's all right Clemson let's get back to a playoff this, this, this year maybe like let's go like here comes Florida State well better be able to handle them they made a they made a big hire which you know isn't that crazy that the uh the offensive coordinator hire is I feel like it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit it was big news whenever it happened but um I wonder what that does to kind of change people's projection of what Clemson yeah. does this year well you know like we we've been saying a while for for Clemson, like golly, they got the maybe the easiest path to the playoff because Florida State stinks, Miami stinks, Virginia Tech stinks. I'm wondering if Florida State coming back a little bit is actually going to help Clemson in the short term and maybe in the long term as well. It just feels like, yeah. man, that what? when you got someone else in your conference, especially someone that you sort of view as a rival, and they got it going again, and you start to feel the pressure. That's really when pl- pressure is applied to some of these programs. It, it kind of feels like that's when they come back with some of their best stuff. I, I, I'm interested to see if that's going to be the case for Clemson or not with with FSU coming back a bit. Hey, I totally agree. And look at you, Tyler McComas. Is that a pressure builds diamonds quote? It I is. see coming printed on a T-shirt. That's- and Dabo would put totally on a t. Dabo would totally put that on a T-shirt. Hey, no one's thought of this before. Pressure builds diamonds, right? It's probably on their workout shorts <laughs> at some uh, somewhere this year. Um, l- let me hit. Yeah, uh, no, I, I. But to that point, though, I've we've we've both made the same um, point about Oklahoma and why we think. Oklahoma's going to rise to the occasion in the Southeastern Conference. Let me hit a few random ones here. You uh, you stopped me yeah. when one. Uh, Lance Leipold at 11, okay. You've got Jeff Munkin at Army at 12. Wow. Mike Gundy at 14 on this list, still top 15. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I love seeing those names on there because I think it's it's all not equal, right? I think being able to pull off a a 10-win season – at Army is a vastly different undertaking than it is to win 10 games at Georgia or Clemson right now. Oh, for sure. Right? And it's the same thing with, with Leipold. Right? What he's done in going into a place like Kansas who has just been decimated with their roster on football, transfer portal killed them. No one left. Scholarship numbers down massively. Uh, that team was just a, a a shell of a Division One roster, and he's done some really impressive things in really quick time. And I, I 
frankly think it's more impressive to do what he's done at Kansas in two years than it is to take all of the best players in college football and to go win a conference championship. Gundy at 14, Climate at 15, Matt Rule at 16, Sonny Dykes at 17, your boy Heupel at 18, Kiffin at 19. Now, these are all interesting names in a row. Mark Stoops at 20, and the used car salesman himself, Jimbo Fisher, all the way back at 23. He was number nine on this ranking last year. Okay. What number did you say Kiffin was, 18? Kiffin was number 19, actually. 19. Okay. You got Sonny Dykes, who made a winner out of SMU, turned them into one of the best offensives in college football, then went to TCU, and in his first year takes TCU to a national championship in the way the first Big 12 team in the college football playoff era to win a semifinal game. He's got a, uh, a Heisman finalist and a guy that's been a previously mediocre quarterback in the Big 12. All that in one year, and he's number 17. Meanwhile, Lane Kiffin, who has a lot of flair and gets a lot of retweets, has done jack squat at Ole Miss, lost, what, six straight games to end the year I last think he year lost something five like that. His, I think he lost five of his last six, maybe, to end the year last year. But it wasn't lost great. Lost five of his last six, and he's right there essentially on equal terms with uh, with Sonny Dykes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I totally agree. Kiffin gets the bump for everything that you just mentioned. That I mean, that's it. It's crazy, right? I mean, I mean, it's how, it, it, Sonny I mean, Dykes it's, it's crazy, is number seventeen on that list. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, trust me, I'm, I'm with you. Now, I would, I'll admit that Sonny Dykes had a, a lot of help, right? He had Oklahoma in a transition year. He had like a, a lot of the. The perfect pieces on that roster really come together at the right time. And, you know, they're, they're all gone now. Not all of them, but a big portion of them are gone now. But, like, that's not to discredit what he, what he did. I mean, there was a Hall of Famer there the year before, and they didn't pull off hardly anything. And he takes the same, essentially the same group of guys loses a quarterback to start the season, and that's what you end up with. That's incredible. Yeah, and not that Ole Miss is a top-10 job nationally. I mean, it's, it's in a – you know, but, but, but it's a top-25 job for sure. I, I, I don't think that he's done anything there to overdo expectations in any way. Won eight games last year. I think that's a very fair expectation at Ole Miss. I'm, he shouldn't be in the top 20. Yeah. Well – I don't know. You you start to run thin at some point, but that's whenever you got to you know dive a little bit deeper and start to look at what some coaches have done. Go to Aranda. Aranda wasn't on there, right? He's he won a Big Twelve title. I know that they had a bit of a step back last year, but I I still think Aranda's a heck of a coach and probably gonna have a good year this year. Yeah, which by the way, uh, Aranda in Lane Kiffin's best year at Ole Miss. Uh, 
beat that you-know-what in the, the Sugar Bowl, 21-7. So, sure. um, I mean, I don't know. It's just uh, look, turn over some rocks a little bit and see what some coaches has, have done with some uh, inferior rosters out there. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. A couple of segments left up from uh, Chicken and Pickle in OKC. We'll Final segment of The Rush, Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. Here's some uh, good news, actually, for the sport that we love so much, college football. Huh. NCAA data, which already I'm skeptical of these numbers, NCAA data, <laughs> shows that college football attendance grew 5% last season, the largest year-over-year increase since 1982. So should I take that as a great sign for the sport or should I take that as, eh, we're still coming off the pandemic here. Don't get too excited about that. Those numbers are skewed a bit. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Um, and it's the NCAA's data, so up, who knows if it's right. Right. They're up uh, 5% last year. Like, 21 was like, – 2020 was crazy, and then what was it? The start of of 21, whenever there was still some restrictions, but like it was different. Some people opened up; other people were still other people were still waiting a little bit. And this past season was like really the first time you had really across the board for an entire season, everyone fully open. I think at least that's how my my memory serves right now. So, uh, hey, I think anytime you, you're you're increasing, I think that's big. But I don't know that I would take yeah, anything I, away. That I, actually, this is interesting though. The SEC went from in 2021 its lowest average attendance since 1999 to the fifth yeah. largest figure in conference history last season. Okay. Yeah. Dang, in 99, their attendance was as poor as it was during a COVID year? Yeah, and the crazy thing is they've led the country in attendance for the – this year was the 24th consecutive year that they've led the uh, led college football in attendance. Wow. Huh. Not surprising, I guess. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, well – I guess it's really not. Of course they lead in attendance. Every single stadium in the conference essentially is 75,000-plus. Uh, yeah, except for Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's the only Im- one. Yeah. It'd be almost impossible for anyone else to lead. Uh, it's just it would. It's not physically possible for the Big Ten or the Big 12, ACC, I believe, or – Pac-12 to be able to lead. So it's really a contest between uh, the Big Ten and the SEC. And well, I don't even know how the Big Ten's numbers match up. Yeah, well, I, like they've got They're some closer. large. They've got some large stadiums, like Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, but they also have some really small stadiums, like the SEC doesn't. Indiana's small. Purdue is small. Rutgers is small. Maryland is right. small. Like you, you like. Vanderbilt is the only small one in the SEC, and really, I, 
<laughs> that, that one's probably almost always filled up because Florida and Georgia and Tennessee fans like flood that stadium because it's a fun city and an easy ticket. So 24 consecutive years for the SEC. Now you're adding OU in Texas. I'm going to guess that in 100 years, oh. it'll be 124 consecutive years that the SEC is led in attendance. Yeah, it's like – uh, it, and I don't know, maybe it's done by a percentage or there's some type of formula there. I don't know, but it's it's like Oklahoma bragging that we have more people at our games than UCO does, you know? You don't brag like, about well, that? Well, hang on a second. Mm, okay. The, the stadium holds 60,000 more people or even more than that. I don't even know what it is, but no, that's that's what's going to be the case, and you're right. I guess I don't know what the exact average of the SEC stadium is, but I'm guessing Oklahoma and Texas additions is going to raise the average capacity Correct, of, the, yes. of stadiums in the SEC. I would guess it's probably so, around, golly, it might be around like seventy thousand. OU's seventy thousand plus, and, and Texas gives the SEC another hundred thousand seat stadium whether they fill it up or not is texas a hundred is that Uh uh-huh yeah well they did um it was the measuring contest right i forget who did it first was it a&m that did it first and then maybe texas was like well we can't do i think that's how it went down but they're both a hundred thousand in in college station in austin i i kyle field like if you told me that place holds one hundred fifty thousand, i would believe you Oh, I think they had 150,000 there during COVID in 2020 during that Florida game. I don't think they cared too much. It's the way it goes straight up makes it appear like it is like by far the largest stadium in college football capacity wise, but I know it's You know not. what it is? It's just well, like straight up, it's almost like if Gallagher Iba was a football stadium just because yeah. of like how how yeah. that is just straight up like that. Those end zones, man, I I've never been there since they. I, I've never been there since I played there in '02, and that was before they had the the one end zone matching. Like they had the one closed. I don't know if it's north or south, but they had it enclosed with that massive. It's just beautiful the way that it it goes straight up in the air, triple deck, and then I think they did the exact same thing in what was the open end zone, right? And yep. How that didn't put it way over 100,000, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, last time I was there, Vaughn Miller was playing for them. They didn't have those, um, S- they didn't have those uh, improvements until they got into the SEC. Yeah. But it's wild, man. Uh, I know. After Manziel. Manziel is what really uh, made that whole thing take yeah. off. All right. I guess you got to get out of here. Yep. I'm headed to Rudy's Country Storm Barbecue to do a uh, – little uh, television show. Aaron Miller hosting and uh, Caleb Kelly and myself going to be on there talking a little foosball, linebackers, off-season workouts. So should be fun. And uh, TJ Perry is going to sit in for the final segment here at Chicken and Pickle. Make sure you stop in up here, indoor-outdoor entertainment complex. Obviously, pickleball, they've got uh, all kinds of other, you know, yard games and variety games out there as well, plus fantastic food. Superior weight staff, bars everywhere. It's a really, really cool spot. you come, got to come see Chicken and Pickle. When you're on the go, you can still get the best and Sooner coverage on the Sports Talk 1400 app powered by OEC Fiber. OEC Fiber brings you the power of high-speed fiber service.